And now, it's time for a Star Trek story. So, Aaron, we've been watching Star Trek The Next Generation Season 1. And and what a season it is. <laughs> uh, it's been a journey. <laughs> Gene Roddenberry's little, here's my u- vision for utopia season. Um, so as we come to the end of our little look at um, this little era of the show, here's our question of the day, Aaron. Are there limits or drawbacks to Star Trek's optimistic vision for the future? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Good night, everyone. Thanks for listening. Yes. (laughs) Um, Well, and if so, what might they be? I think the drawbacks are it's this ideal future that still struggles with problems that we have in the present like like sexism and racism things like that and those are certainly things that hold the show back and hold the Mm. ideology of the show back i think a little bit Mm. like ultra mini skirts in the 1960s but it's like but it's this better evolved future we're putting the women in mini skirts (laughs) as their uniform (laughs) we're gonna have a woman on board her job is to sense things yeah yeah okay so, yeah, I guess in a, the vision of the future, the better future, is limited by our own shortcomings of the present. Yeah, things we still need to tackle, problems we're still facing. All right. Well, welcome to Star Trek Stories, everyone. This is episode 23, The Neutral Zone. Um, I, of course, am your superlative host, Jaron Hatch, and I'm joined here by my sumptuous co-host, Aaron Cole. Hello, Aaron. Hello. <laughs> I'm going to say that in a sumptuous way. Hello. Mm-hmm. How you doing? <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> um, this is our final episode and our look at the growing pains of the next generation. What a ride it's been. Yeah, you know, I think we brought some fresh takes to that first season. We yeah. Really did. Yeah, absolutely. Both, both bad and good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, speaking of bad, last time we watched Skin of Evil. <laughs> Skin of Evil. That silly little episode where a goo monster kills Lieutenant Yar. The fluids of the Devil. <laughs> Boy, what an exit she gets, am I right? <laughs> That's too bad. Well... We do have a new guest on today. Hopefully, they will not be flung across the set by a goo monster. That would be very tragic. Um, yes, joining us today for this final episode of this little section of the podcast, um, we have my lovely good friend Liz Luby on the show. Hello, Liz. Hi, all. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm real pumped to be here. Yay. Pumped. Hello, hello. Um, yeah, I'm so glad we got you on. Like, we've definitely been looking for fans of all caliber, um, people who've never seen it, but it's always fun to get like the super dedicated fans, which Liz, you are straight at the top in my mind of people, like people I know who love Star Trek. (laughs) Good. I try. I've been slacking recently, but, um, I'll, I'll try better. Thanks for uh, (laughs) inviting me into the space so I can catch up. Uh, feel like. (laughs) A better Star Trek fan. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's enough out there where you can take your time. There's yep. there's no rush. Um, Liz, uh, you and I know each other. Um, we we're talking a little bit before we got started, um, but you and I know each other through our mutual friend Marquet, who has been on the show a couple times. Um, and you were the one who helped us um, get an apartment. Um, let, let us know about this lovely little place in the avenues, which I am still at. Awesome. Uh, I'm still there. Um, and then we used to be neighbors. Yeah, that was the best. That was so fun. Um, every once in a while, like we would come over, play like settlers, like a tan or something. Or, oh, there you go. Yeah. Or you guys would come over and we would just hang out. Um, we had a lot of fun. We were hanging out when Star Trek Discovery was coming out. Yes. 
And every week you'd come over and we would sit and watch Discovery. Love Discovery. That was great. It was, uh, I'm sure you guys will get into Discovery at some point. (laughs) It's inevitable. It's down the pike. (laughs) Um, We'll start with um, so much of our own friendship. You and I is very much based to some degree around how much we love Star Trek. Um, So we'll start there. What is it about star trek that you that you love so much um i think i've I've always been super interested in science and especially space science like ever since i was a kid um i was the president of the astronomy club in middle school uh in high school i just got super into um space travel and i wanted to like i wanted to be an astronaut still because you know i was you know, young and dumb, and I didn't realize what that entailed, but maybe that was a blessing. Who knows? Uh, Spoiler alert, I'm not an astronaut, so it didn't work out, but still got super interested in it. And all through high school and all through college, like I just binge watched Star Trek all the time and I loved it so much. And I think it uh, influenced a lot of my career path still. Um, And I just got involved in a lot of cool projects um, in, including a little stint at NASA, um, where I got to dress up as Spock, which is probably the highlight of the entire time there. It was amazing, <laughs> but yeah, science, love for science. Science. Go science. So science. What did, yes. What did you do at NASA? Can you talk about it? Yeah. I, um, I was working with a team of folks to basically build uh, a system to detect algae in Lake Michigan huh. using satellite data. Oh, cool. Yeah. Super cool. Did you, did it work out? Were you able to detect algae? Yep, we did. It was awesome. a specific species we needed to detect and we were doing it to help out a nonprofit who worked, um, on Lake Michigan to clean up those beaches. So, um, we got the dang thing built and they were, they were using it. It was great. Heck yeah. It was pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty wild to me that we live in a time where we can use orbiting satellites to detect specific kinds of algae from space. How cool is that? Like super cool. I don't think we talk about it enough. <laughs> no, yeah, that's wild. <laughs> that we can just shoot data up, send data down. There is so much information you can get out of one image. Mm. Wow. Speaking of being a scientist and like the algae, so um you are specifically a climate scientist. Um, did that any kind of interest in climate? I'm wondering, does this, was this spurred by your love of like astronomy or did like climate science as an interest come before, after? I, I think they were kind of came at the same time. I was always super interested in environmental science and um, climatology, but also uh, astronomy and, and, you know, all of the things that you can discover in space. And so eventually I discovered that those two things can actually come together into planetary climate science, um, which is a super, super interesting field, um, you know, kind of still emerging because obviously we can't really get to the other planets yet very easily to study their climate. There's a little bit that you can do with um, with satellite imagery, with remote sensing and all of that. But in terms of like getting into the, the nitty gritty, not much there yet, but yeah, that's a uh, kind of, kind of came at the same time, but it's, it's really interesting when you put those two things together. Yeah. Um, I bet you gives you a kind of interesting perspective on both, like in terms of just planetary bodies and, and astronomy and also getting that macro level for specific climate science. Oh yeah, there's so much that you can discover and just from the base, like the foundation of climate science and paleoclimate that we have from studying the earth, what we see, we can use that foundation on other planets, but what we find there is likely going to be a lot different. And it's going to like anything that you would discover would shake the foundation of, of climate science. It would just be super exciting to be able to apply what we know from earth to other planets and see what the similarities are the differences there's just so much unknown Mm. 
if only we could live in that start perfect Star Trek future and where they can just be like, oh, yeah, let's just do that for its own sake. And that's like our highest priority. Please. <laughs> that comes after the, the nuclear exchange, right? And the riots. So we still got to. That's right. Yeah. We have to have the great World War Three nuclear reset before we can get there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, honestly, though, Star Trek couldn't have. I mean, maybe Star Trek actually could have known. It's like, I think we're much more likely to have climate catastrophe than we are nuclear catastrophe at oh this point. Who knows, though? If we ever made it out into space, like like Star Trek space, I think we'd be a lot more like the Romulans than than the Federation, <laughs> to be honest. Expand or die. Yeah. Hmm. Um, also, Liz, as far as like Star Trek goes, you know, some people have talked about being inspired by Star Trek to become a scientist. Was it that direction for you, or is it like because you like science, you found Star Trek and love that? I I think it was because I like science that I found Star Trek. Because although my I was exposed to Star Trek from a very young age, my parents would watch the original series. I was not into original series, so I, I just couldn't get into it until um, maybe late middle school, early high school. Um, I discovered Next Generation and Voyager and Controversial, but Deep Space Nine, <laughs> I loved all of those a lot. And I think um, that I, because I was into science, I um, was a little more inspired when I, when I found those. And then I just kept watching it and it was, it was really nice back then. Mm. Do you feel there are limits and drawbacks to Star Trek's optimistic vision for the future? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely think so. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. Um, trying to you know keep a generally positive outlook on it, but um, I think what Star Trek leaves out a lot is the fact that it's often put on a scientist's shoulders to convince people that what they're saying is true and important and to consume that information and to get that content out to the general public. And that is a lot of work. <laughs> um, like I, I did a, an entire science communication fellowship where we learned how to engage with the public about our research. And it is so much work, not only to, to find the people that need to be reached out to, <laughs> but to understand where they're coming from and modify our findings and our content, build an entire presentation in various formats so it's engaging for people and it's interesting to them and that they feel that they can connect with it and relate to it on a personal level. In Star Trek, it, it feels more like they skipped that part or they, they don't include that part as much. There's like, I think there's some episodes where they like some planets where, where people are like close-minded and you know, the Enterprise comes and manages to change everyone's mind and change their hearts and open them up to the possibilities that the universe has. But I don't think that really happens. Well, should we see if this episode of Star Trek um, has anything to say about any limits or drawbacks about Star Trek's optimistic vision? I'm intrigued. I, th I think it might. Yes, we are watching The Neutral Zone today. Um this aired May 16th, 1988. This is the 26th episode produced for the first season, which makes it the season finale. Now, like we talked about, this first season of TNG has leaned pretty heavily into Roddenberry's kind of utopian vision for the franchise. This is the season where it's probably the most on display, while also eschewing elements from like classic Trek. They have not really leaned a lot into any kind of nostalgia on the, at this point yet um but both of those things come kind of to a head in this episode so that's what we're going to be looking at today um for those of you at home who are going to watch along with us this is your invitation to watch star trek the next generation is streaming on paramount plus you can find it by bringing up season one episode 26 and we'll be back after a journey into the neutral zone
I'm Captain Picard. Excellent. Now, maybe we'll be able to get some things straightened out. We may indeed. Those comm panels are for official ship business. Well, if they're so important, why don't they need an executive key? Aboard a starship vessel, that is not necessary. We are all capable of exercising self-discipline now. You will refrain from using them. Now, just a minute. We are in a very serious and potentially dangerous situation. Well, I'm sure whatever it is seems very important to you. But my situation is far more critical. I don't think you are aware of your situation or of how much time has passed. Believe me, I am fully cognizant of where I am and when. It is simply that I have more to protect than a man in your position could possibly imagine. No offense, Matt, but a military career has never been considered to be upwardly mobile. I must contact my lawyer. Your lawyer has been dead for centuries. Yes, of course I know that. But he was a full partner in a very important firm. Rest assured, that firm is still operating. That's what all this is about. A lot has changed in the past 300 years. People are no longer obsessed with the accumulation of things. We have eliminated hunger, want, the need for possessions. We've grown out of our infancy. So in case you haven't seen this episode or if you haven't watched it with us, basically what happens in this episode is that they stumble upon an old spacecraft from in quotes, 20th century earth. And they find some cryogenically frozen 20th century people on board and they unfreeze them. And it's kind of them like waking up in this crazy new future Meanwhile, in the beam plot, the Romulans are back causing shenanigans along the neutral zone. <laughs> um, we always start with, start with initial thoughts. Liz, initial thoughts coming off of the neutral zone. Yeah, I've missed the Romulans. It's been a while. <laughs> They're su- super interesting. I just love to see like how... I don't know why it shocks me, but it, it always does like surprise me a little bit to see how different they are from Vulcans. They're very different. And, like that that difference, it almost seemed to be like the, the same amount of difference between the humans on the Enterprise and the humans they picked up that were frozen. Just like such a difference in attitude and motivations and, and values. Mm. I wonder how much of that is intentional. Like, that's the big question. Is that like a direct kind of thing they're trying to do? Because th- those, yeah, both the Romulans and the humans feel very, the 20th century humans feel very alien to our characters. Yeah, that, that would be a perfect comparison, I think, in, especially in this episode, because they're like the three people that they picked up, like, they're definitely just the perfect representations of humans now. And they're just like emotional disasters that are controlled by this power and greed and just driven by the the fear of the unknown and instead of motivated by it, like our enterprise people and those, those Romulans too, they're just, I don't, I don't know what they're up to, but it's not scientific. That's for sure. (laughs) You know, uh, Aaron early uh, in the beginning, you mentioned 
kind of who we are now remind you more of what the Romulans are. Oh yeah. You know, it's like, Hey, if we went, if we actually went to space, we'd probably be more like the Romulans. A bit like, Hey, you're, you're blowing up shit on our neutral zone. What are you doing? (laughs) We'd probably be a bit more aggressive even. Mm. Um, Aaron, what's your initial thoughts coming off of this episode? That cowboy wins me over every time. He really does. He's 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 kind of a douche in the beginning, and then by the end, I I love him. He's such a character. What was his name? Like L Q Sonny Clemens? Yeah, <laughs> Clemens. <laughs> uh, Data's fascination with him. I think that's my favorite part of this episode is is that dynamic between those two. Sonny and Data. Yeah. Look what this fellow down made for me. Hey man, chill out. They're doing their jobs. <laughs> Called it a pattern replication, and it plays good too. <laughs> uh, getting older, I kind of empathize a little bit more with the the rich man, the banker, the stock guy. Mm-hmm. It's like I need to check on my investments. Is everything all right? Yeah, that that becomes much more important the older you get. So you kind of get uh, his point of view. Um, uh, the lady just looking for her family. I feel like her and Troy, I don't know. I'm still confused about what, what their their little journey was. Yeah. What what did they offer to the episode? You know what I mean? Right. Still pondering that. Yeah, there was no real resolution. It was like, I don't know, I have no family. Well, let's find you family. Great. They gave her a path to go down and that's that, it. That, that we never see that again. Mm. No end point. As far as the Romulans go, I mean, it's just like a, a direct throwback to the original series episode. You know, Balance of Terror. Balance of Terror, yeah. Yeah, lots of shades of that for sure. Cloaking device and like our outposts have gone silent. Mm-hmm. Very much feels very much like a modern, well, 1980s modern in quotes to call back to the old the 60s episode. Yeah. yeah, this one's a wonky wild ride. Like... This feels like a kind of tale of two cities for me. These almost feel like two disparate things that are kind of happening in the episode. Um, like Star Trek, especially like TNG, they do lots of like A slash B plots. These two plots feel so distinct and separate from each other. I feel like they could have easily done a whole episode just about the people from the 20th century. And they easily could have done a whole episode about the first re-encounter with the Romulans. The fact that they sandwiched those two ideas in this one episode, it's such a strange choice for me. Like it would have, I would have been fascinated to kind of try to get some of the thought process behind it. Like why, what, what, what was the, the impetus to do this? Oh, heck, it ain't nothing but something to do. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, yeah, it's, it's such, it's such a strange episode to me. Um, I guess we can break some of this stuff down into more, um, separate elements. How do we feel about the A plot? which is like the cryogenically frozen humans from the 20th century. Like how do we feel that works as a story idea? Like by itself? By itself. If we're just looking at that, if we're just look, that's what most of this episode is about. Is that. Yeah. I think if it, I think it's a bad idea, which is probably why they, they mentioned that they stopped it in the episode like that was just a fad i can't see that working in real life like even if it like scientifically worked and you could freeze people 300 400 years into the future and they would be fine like there there's no way that people are going to be able to adapt to the new mindset and the new values of this society that they find themselves in because these three people are clearly going to fuck it up for themselves back on earth (laughs) 
<laughs> Sorry, but they're not going to make it. <laughs> I can't see that working. I mean, <laughs> they need what, time to adjust. What would be the analogous? Like people from the early 18th century showing up now? They wouldn't make it. Like there's no way they would just get canceled immediately. <laughs> no chance. <laughs> like throttling the first people they see, just going insane. <laughs> Give me your purse of gold. <laughs> stab, 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 stab. Maybe as a story of how it how it wouldn't work, that would be really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I guess is there. It's a bit gimmicky. Like, it is very gimmicky. What What if we, you know, took people from our time and threw them into the Star Trek times? But what if? That's how all the good stuff starts. I, I mean, it's not a bad what if, conceptually. Maybe they could have uh, executed a little better. Like you said, like I think, yeah, it kind of deserves its own full episode. That that concept of of bringing people from our time into the Star Trek times, and it's not anything we haven't really explored before, hmm. right? Star Trek has gone there. We've gone to the past on Earth. Sure. Um, yeah, I think in a vacuum, it's a fun idea. It's like if someone from our time shows up in Star Trek time, how would you react to that? But again, like, because there is all this Romulan stuff, it's hard to give it the full attention. So all they mostly do is like, oh, you're here. Well, what's that mean? Well, we can't tell you right now. They're Romulans. All right. Um, how do we feel about like the three distinct like characters they bring into it? I think that's kind of a miss. Mm. Those are the three choices you make when you're going to bring someone from your time. Like, okay, the stock guy I can kind of see because Star Trek loves being anti-capitalist. Um, Especially now. Yeah. But even that, they could have done a better job defining him more, uh, defining all of them more. Uh, even the slice of life cowboy and the homemaker. I don't know. I, yeah. Neither of them really serve a purpose to the plot or the story. But they could. They could have given him a direction. They could have given him somewhere important to go, some moral uh, lesson to be learned, but they did not. Mm. What do you think, Liz, the three of them? Yeah, I think uh, I would have kind of liked to, to see more about what they were about, but I also think, like, they were all concerned with three different things and those three things were still not what the crew of the enterprise was concerned about and where their values were so it was like three distinct people representing three things i think maybe people today are most concerned about like their families their money and i don't know what was the musician after just Chasing chicks or whatever. What did he call them? What did he? He said some weird. He had a particular for phrase for it. Yeah, and we'll I make ourselves a memory with some <laughs> pit poochies, low <laughs> mileage pit poochies. Poochie mom, pit poochies. <laughs> yeah, that was a great conversation that Data and Riker had to have after that. I don't know how he got out of the 20th century. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know either. But he clearly had no idea what was going on and was totally okay with his ignorance. Yeah, it kind of seems like that's exactly how he was doing in the 20th century, too. Yeah, there's a like, lot of people like that now, though, too. So, Like, I don't know, man. I'm just they drinking. They do a good job. Like, yeah, just drinking. That, that's pretty good representation of, of people today, though. They fit into one of these categories, generally. <laughs> you know, it is very interesting, like... And clearly the three of them are specifically speaking to a, an Americana thing of the time. This is not like a full representation of humanity by any stretch of the imagination. Like it's three white people from America. Maybe they were it, shooting for like a, sorry, like a, these things that you're caring about in this time aren't important. Like what you could be caring about and it just wasn't executed that well. Yeah. Like, and that's what the end of the episode seems to be trying to speak to, but it's, Mostly with the the capitalist dude, yeah. Um, like search inward, improve yourself. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. And 
it's interesting the three things they all represent. You have the hyper-capitalist who's like, it's not just about money. It's about power. Um, then you have the other guy who is just like a complete hedonist. It's all just about music, having a good time, drinking, shacking up with the ladies. That seems to be his all his motivations. And then there's the woman, and her whole thing is like, they literally describe her as a homemaker. Traditionalist, I guess. Like traditional housewife, like kind of a thing. And like her, all her concerns are all about my husband, my kids, my family. Like there's nothing really about her. Her whole identity is her family and kids and everything. It's almost like they break down three almost like unfortunate stereotypes of living in this contemporary society, like capitalism hedonism and patriarchy sexism and i'm like i mean they kind of get it in terms of like the values of the time and it is interesting to see like but how empty and meaningless all of these things are just as their own thing and that's and their whole identities are built around these little if for me, it's just about my family. For me, it's just about having a good time. And for me, it's about my stocks and investment. And that's all they are. Their their lines don't really connect back at the end of the story either. It's kind of like they start in the central point and they all just shoot out in all these different story directions and run completely opposite from each other at some points. They don't, they don't ever really tie back together. The story doesn't have a a cohesive sense to it. So a lot of what they were going for, I think, gets lost because of that. It's like three stereotypes, but they don't go, that are kind of interesting on their own, but they don't really do much more than that. Do you think this episode would have been better served if there was only like one of them? Yeah. Yeah. Someone like an, uh, someone who is notable in their time, like an actor or like a, a politician or somebody like that. <laughs> Not or a like politician. A, or, or like, like a Trump-like person, like a, a Reagan you know, someone like that who is known in multiple uh, hemispheres. Liz, what do you think about what, you know, Aaron, one of the things we've talked about at Star Trek is the kind of mirror Star Trek holds up to like contemporary society. So this episode does offer this kind of unique, it speaks a little more directly to it. I don't know how well it does, but, um, how does our 24th century people look in comparison to the people they show from the 20th century? Oh. Yeah, I think uh, the the 20th century people, I I still think they're they're unfortunately more relatable to to today's people, um, like. The, the 20 like the, the the crew of the enterprise specifically maybe not the romulans too but at least the crew of the enterprise and uh like future humans i think they are the ideal for maybe a minority of people today um is what the ideal future of humanity should be and what we should be concerned about but it seems like the majority of people now are not that way and that they they still value i don't want to say useless but useless things <laughs> that won't <laughs> drive us forward as a species mm. um, this is why i'm not a politician but you know <laughs> uh, i don't know it's it's kind of tough they did a good job with reflecting who we are and where we're at now in in those people and what's blocking us from becoming what some of us think is is the the better version of what we could be in the future to make progress and be happy do you think like we talked earlier before we watched the episode about how star trek is this interesting kind of time capsule and that like you're kind of seeing of the moment so what we're essentially seeing with the main cast in this is this very 1980s idealized version of humans with our main cast so now looking at it in 2023 who is do, do those 20th century humans still 
even though they're they're supposed to be like contemporary '80s humans, are they closer to who we are now than these 24th century people that we see? Who's closer to how we are now? Mm. <laughs> Might not like my answer, but I, I don't think in general like people have changed that much since the '80s. I mean, there's obviously some pockets of of people that have become a little more open to um i guess become more open-minded and accepting of new ideas and embracing science a little bit more but it still seems like maybe we've even gone a little backwards and there's more of that type of of person now Uh, there's more opposition to um scientific advancement um like (laughs) flat earthers uh, like you name it, people that are still uh, kind of denying the moon landing and, and saying that we shouldn't be <laughs> exploring space, like they don't understand how it works and they're still burning books and things like that. So it's, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I think we haven't advanced as much as we probably should have towards that Star Trek version of ourselves. As much as maybe we thought even yeah a few years ago like i never thought we i would really see book burnings again in my life that's where we are that's, here we are that's so crazy yeah at the very least book bannings it's wild that too but but actual then also in some cases literal book burnings oh. and access to scientific knowledge like they're trying to cut that off too like Mm -hmm. if if people wanted to if they were curious at all at one point now that folks are trying to cut off access to that knowledge and it's just really sad to see that kind of thing not just with book burnings but with just banning teaching certain topics and that's just you know a very backwards way to go about everything it's real painful as a scientist. Oh, yeah. Uh, Do you think we are ever going to achieve something like what we see out of humanity in Star Trek? I know it's it's heavily fictionalized as a TV show, but in terms of just the broad strokes, what they're trying to portray, do you think we'll ever see something like that? Not in our lifetimes, but... Maybe. Hard maybe. Like, hard, hard maybe. At least... I feel like at least now we're making some good progress towards Mars and we'll definitely be making some real breakthrough scientific discoveries as soon as we get there. And I think that will open a door to allow us to become more like that. Um, Like there's going to be opportunities for that, but even with those opportunities, you could fork it in one direction or the other. Like we could either mine the crap out of demos and phobos and you know if we find live microbes or something like that but they live in a really valuable deposit you know like we're gonna have some moral struggles as a species trying to decide what to do with that um for sure the financial aspect is a huge thing that's driving exploration right now you know yeah like do we do we care about the the (laughs) the life forms that we just found do we care about figuring out the origins of of life on earth life in mars life in the whole universe or do we really want that deposit like because it's going to pay for the mission and that's what matters there's a gdp worth of copper up there boys we're gonna get it um it makes me kind of wonder going back to our question from the beginning it's like Uh, and I don't know, um, but is one of the limitations of Star Trek's optimistic vision for the future is that it's un- unattainable or unrealistic. And, uh, you know, and, th- and that's at the risk of being very pessimistic. Um, but even going back to our conversation from earlier about even just like trying to communicate scientific principles to the public at large, like, Star Trek almost presents it as if like it, it's just this thing that's gonna happen, and it's like, will it though? Maybe yeah. There's huge, huge technological hurdles like 
the warp space travel. Sure, sure. Time and relativity and huge distances in space and all that. Like so many, so many hurdles or something like that. That's why I think maybe like our technology is going to take us down a different path. We'll like explore our solar system if we make it that far. But then find out maybe that's about as far as we can go with our current technological understanding of the universe. And we'll have to find another way, like we were talking about with Scott, like exploring through our consciousness. Maybe that, like the combination of consciousness and artificial and artificial intelligence. Mm. What do you think, Liz? I'm feeling like the main hurdle is still going to be getting people on board with going that that route. Because if I, I do feel like there's a lot that we can do technologically and scientifically if everyone just agrees to do it and put resources into it and prioritize that if there's funding for it and if there's people for it if it's prioritized by the majority of people there's not much i don't think we we couldn't do um we could work through limitations like there's just so much opportunity for global collaboration to figure out these issues if only we could get over ourselves enough to just make it happen um but that that would just take so much time and it already has taken so much time we've already seen like how long it's taken us to get back to the moon for stupid trivial reasons and we, we could have been there a long time ago if, if we just everyone just got over themselves and you know reprioritized what is actually important for that i think it's possible for us to to do something like that but it might take a lot longer than we might think to just mentally get there someday <laughs> um shifting gears uh from the a story strangely enough the story about encountering the Romulans in the episode titled The Neutral Zone is the B-plot. Um, how do we feel about the reintroduction of the Romulans in this episode? It's a little confusing. They're, yeah. uh, like, they, they came in, you know, guns blazing, trying to, to act all tough, but they're, they're still not the ones that proposed that they, they collaborate with the Enterprise, and yet that seems to be, like, why else would they have not fired on them if they didn't want to collaborate? Mm. That Romulan ego. Yeah. It was, mm. I don't know, they're, they're, they're a little confusing sometimes, but... I don't think they've changed much since the 60s. Yeah. Except for the exterior of the ship, but then you get a view of the bridge, it's like... <laughs> Their style hasn't changed at all. They look exactly the same. They have the same dramatic lights from the 60s in the background. Um, Sashes. <laughs> they seem to think that they've changed quite a bit. <laughs> they were trying to show off. They were trying to show off. Their ship certainly has. The ship is very cool. The I'm ship is glorious. And in the OG show, when they first show up, it's just this tiny little ship. Mm-hmm. And now in this episode, they do have this giant, massive ship that's bigger than the Enterprise. It's cool that they show up. And I feel like in some ways, that's like the most like, anytime it's like stuff with the Romulans, that's when I feel like I'm the most like, hmm? It feels like the stakes are so much higher. And you're like, yeah, what's going on here? And then they keep cutting back to like the 20th century people. It's like, I want to speak to a manager now. <laughs> You're just like, oh my God, like just get to the Romulans. And even then he still has to show up like, and give them <laughs> business advice. <laughs> They're trying to figure out the Romulans. He basically fills Troy's spot where he states the obvious. They don't know. They're hoping you do. And it's like, well, thank you, Captain Obvious. Maybe we can learn something from our past in dealing with the Romulans. Well, yeah, I don't know. I think it's cool that they show up and it's great for a season finale. I just wish it was just literally about the Romulans. They should have done the humans in the episode before this 
and then done the Romulans in this episode. And that would have been a great season finale. Yeah. Yeah, they are a little mysterious. A little like the North Koreans. Yeah, just behind a wall. Yeah, no one knows anything about them. But when they come out and do something, it's like, what? What did they do this time? All everything we hear about them may or may not be true. Yeah. But what is interesting, and we kind of spoke to this a little bit earlier, we get kind of two blasts from the past in this episode. We get the 20th century humans and then the Romulans, which are like a blast from Star Trek's past. How do we think they play off each other? What do you think they were trying to do with this, doing both of these in the same episode? I'll give two good ideas there their day i guess in one i don't know maybe it just didn't play out very well feels like the product of many minds oh liz what do you think what do you think they're trying to do trying to smash these things together (laughs) the only thing i can think of is to compare the romulans to the uh the frozen humans and just say that they're they're similar on some level and they're just hard to deal with these ancient relics of society that can't mesh with the Federation at its best now or something to that degree. Um, I agree <laughs> like that. If, if that's what they were trying to do, I think that that would have been a good way to, to go with it. But yeah. So this episode was affected by the 1988 writer strike. Oh, there was a strike. There was a writer's strike in 1988. Um, the writer of this episode, Maurice Hurley, he had a day and a half to turn the already hurried outline into a script. And then once they had the script, the strike happened and they couldn't rewrite it no matter what. It's just whatever the script was, that's what they had to shoot. Didn't know that. Um and that I, that certainly comes across when I like look at that. I'm like, well, that makes this episode make a lot more sense because they did. They just literally didn't have the time to flesh out what this could have been. Um, any final thoughts on this episode? The neutral zone. Just let Worf do one thing. Just let him do. Just let Worf <laughs> do one thing. <laughs> Oh my God! Yeah, Worf gets shut down a lot in this episode. Ugh. Poor guy. He's too emotional. You got to get Troy in there to control him, but she was too busy with the other lady. It's an emotional crisis, and it's just as valid <laughs> as a Federation existential <laughs> crisis. She did have a specific orders from the captain to keep those people under control. And yet they the still came back to the bridge. He still got his. <laughs> he got himself on the bridge. Mission failed. Well, Liz, thank you for coming on and talking about the neutral zone yes thanks for having me that was super fun loved it way Um, fun we'll have to get you on for a better for everyone who's been coming on for this like season one of tng i'm like we'll get you on for a better episode i promise i just needed people i can trust (laughs) for these first season episodes (laughs) but i know liz you're one of those people it's like i'll like it no matter what i yeah i liked that episode despite you know Despite Red flags itself. and issues. I just like <laughs> yeah. I like watching Star Trek. It's fine, whatever episode it is. <laughs> it still feels like it's trying to speak to something that I still feel like most shows aren't trying to speak to. Mm-hmm. And that's valuable. All us negative Nancys need some positivity in our media. <laughs> yes, Liz, thank you so much. We will definitely get you back on if you, if you are amenable to the idea. One thousand percent. Yay, um, Aaron! Wow, we've reached the end of basically our second little season, our little chunk. Yeah. If you've been with us from the beginning, thank you so much. Yeah, newcomers, come on along, jump on the train. Let's go. Let's watch Star Trek together. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. Yeah, I promise, guys. Our next chunk. Oh boy heading into better territory <laughs> good track times coming this, but like i said though this has been fun to watch all these episodes um yeah um so for next time um we're not gonna be doing one of our regular episodes aaron and i are gonna be doing just a little sit down together talking about looking back and talking about the last 10 episodes we just watched 
Um, we just completed the growing pains of the next generation. So we'll be sitting down to talk about our thoughts and feelings. Um, show me that smile again. Show me that smile. <laughs> Don't waste another <laughs> <laughs> Don't <you> cry. <laughs> <laughs> And we'll get to talk about maybe how successful Star Trek was at reimagining itself for this first time. <laughs> and um, we're going to be announcing what we're going to be watching for Nerd Movies 2. Um, and you definitely don't want to miss that. Should we no. give any kind of hint or spoiler of what it might be? What, what, what? I'll tell you what. Yeah, we, we can give a little one. It's a superhero movie. Hey, there where you we're go. tackling the superhero genre. On Nerd Movies 2, so we'll let you contemplate what possibly we might be watching for Nerd Movies 2. It's a superhero film. Big list. Um, all right. Well, thank you all for tuning in. Um, Liz, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Liz. Aaron, thank you. Thank you, Jaren. Um, and we will catch you all, hopefully not in the neutral zone. And hopefully not with 20th century humans. But, you know, to be fair, they're not all that different from us. So that's probably what you're going to end up with. Sorry, folks. To be fair. We love you all so much. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to share us your own Star Trek story, you can email us at storiedstartrek at gmail.com. Or you can visit our Discord server. You can find us by clicking on the link in the show description.